0: Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and today on our Free Zone Success, we have Paul Van Dyne, and he's from the Quad Cities, if you understand U.S. geography, that's on the Mississippi River, and I think you're on the Iowa side or the Illinois side? On I mean, the uh, Illinois side. On the Illinois side, but you get flooded nevertheless, depending yeah, on it, which side
1: you're uh, on. Equal opportunity for each state, yes. Yeah. We can talk
0: about that because you've had a great deal to do with the river itself and the corps of engineers with your engineering company but i wanted to jump right in because paul just has a tremendous adventure story to talk about of what's happened with the pandemic period when for most people things were closed down and
1: paul i would say for you things really opened up they ramped up substantially on that dan We do a lot of work for healthcare organizations. matter of fact, about 40% of all the work that we do, so we're, we do engineering, we do building engineering. So if you think about a new building going up, anything except for the architecture, we do. We do the structure, mechanical, electrical systems, civil systems, anything that makes that building stand up and work, that's what we do. And we've done that for years for hospitals. We built brand new hospitals. We renovate hospitals. Is 40% of our business is healthcare. So it's been interesting during this period of time, obviously, as this pandemic gained steam, that hospitals started to think about some of the systems they had, some of the capacity they had, and realized that they're in serious trouble. Especially if you take a look at where the predictions were going. And looking at those predictions, immediately, they realized that they were short of rooms. So what do you do about rooms? How do you obtain more rooms? And it's not just rooms, but rooms where there's an infected person inside. So when that infected person is coming into that room, what does it do to the people next door? What does it do to the people walking down the hallway? It really became a huge issue. And to keep it simplistic, it became air pressurization issues. If you think about going into a surgery, you know it's high pressure. There's a lot of airflow that you feel. Well, that's to keep the patient safe from infection. Well, now you've got a lot of infected people that are going into a hospital. And how do you keep those hospitals safe? So we basically were asked by a number of different hospitals to say, how can we make regular patient rooms safe rooms? But then it became, even with that, they didn't have enough capacity. So now we started taking a look at saying, well, could we take parking decks outside of hospitals and convert them into patient rooms? Could we take facilities like hotels, which have an unbelievably low occupancy rate right now, turn them into hospitals? We actually put a blog out saying how that could be done. How do you take schools, which are unoccupied now, and turn them into patient facilities? We actually did 26 tents in Chicago, that are really triage tents. And these are tents that are located throughout Chicago and Wisconsin where patients would go in and they would check to see are they COVID 19, are they not COVID 19? And then they triage them either into a hospital set space or into a safe space where they're not COVID 19 inflicted. Yeah. How big a tender are we talking about? They varied in size, but I'm saying they might hold maybe 50 patients. Oh, wow. So pretty good size. It had to have heating and air conditioning to it. So think of this. You've got an empty field. So now you've got to turn this into, in a sense, an ICU room. almost done it. So it took a portable air conditioning unit and a heating unit, emergency generator, you had to put technology systems in there because they needed the technology capability of it. It's built of a tent. So how do you put mechanical ductwork into a tent? So we literally used air socks and we had a metal duct that went in and an air socks that went across the top of the tent that distributed air because you had to have air distributed to the point of the patient. It was really a challenge and everything had to be available within a week. I mean, just think about ordering something that you need for your home. I mean, a week would be great delivery, yet alone getting something that's somewhat custom for this, and yet getting it not only thought of, procured, designed, installed in a week. We would get phone calls, and a phone call would come in. You have two hours to respond to the phone call. You have 24 hours to mobilize. That's how cricket, and there was no difference between a Saturday and Sunday, and a Monday and Tuesday. Yeah, and Paul, you had some really big retrofits during this period too, didn't you? It really was. We had some huge facilities that what we had to do is take a look at them and see how you convert these buildings, warehouses, into something that could handle patients. The interesting thing is Dan that there were a lot of projections, and as you took a look at these projections. And they got to today, they realized they overstated a lot of those projections. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that were done never saw, I'm going to say, the light of day in a sense on it. They never became fully finished occupied. But those tents, we had some very quick rooms that could be built. We went in collaboration with an architect and a contractor to build these rooms that were very quick rooms to assemble and portable. And those were done and completed and utilized.
0: Well, the one that you sent me the specs on and the visuals on was actually a complete IC unit. And it was basically you could construct these IC units off-site and
1: you could deliver them. Exactly. Exactly. And that was a very nice collaboration we had. You know, we also saw... Inside the hospital, think of this. So you've got ventilators that are being used for patients, and these ventilators take a significant amount of oxygen. So you're building an intensive care unit, and say you've got 10 ICUs or 20 ICUs. Well, when you're designing this, you figure a certain amount of diversity when you figure your oxygen line that comes from literally your oxygen tank going to all these ICU rooms, these intensive care unit rooms. Well, they had no comprehension that you could have a ventilator that maybe took the capacity of two or three ICU rooms typically operating. And every one of these ICUs could potentially have a patient with a ventilator in it and patient rooms on top of that. So really, gases became a huge issue. And I'm going to say, fortunately, the pandemic never got to the full extent that it could have gotten to, but had it. That would have been a huge issue that we're trying to solve with hospitals on how do you get more oxygen, raising the pressure of the oxygen, but that has its own little concerns when you do something like that. It became yeah. huge issue. Well, they it's did. really interesting. It got used or it didn't get used, but yeah. your capabilities and skills go forward. You know, that's what I was going to say, Dan. What was really interesting about this is that we've got 1,500 staff, of which two-thirds are engineers. This was truly an engineering problem-solving event. There were so many items that came up that said, how do you do this? You were kind of living Apollo 13. In a sense, exactly. You had to use a lot of off-the-shelf stuff too. I mean, stuff that already existed. When you took a look at a week to get accomplished, you know, we had things in a sense as simple as we had to turn hospitals into safe locations throughout. So what you really needed to have is a person walking down a hallway is typically not going to wear PPE protective gear. So we need to protect those hallways. So literally what we did is we took, well, I'm going to say we turn air, that would typically return air to an air healing unit in a hospital, put an exhaust system to that. Had the hospitals turned to 100% outside air, typically they recirculate 70% of their air. Now they're going to 100% outside air and exhausting at the patient rooms. So a person walking down the hallway wouldn't have the virus that could go out into that space. So it was things like that. So we actually had engineers embedded in hospitals that just went there every day. They went into the hospital and said, how do we solve this problem?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like the 787, the Dreamliner, which uses 100% outside air ventilated there. It's the same principle. You're always pushing the exhausted, the stale air out. That's the whole possibility. So did you have time to catch your thoughts as you were going through here? (laughs) You know, you talk about catching your breath. Well, It's a case of even catching your thoughts as you're going through here of what kind of capability you actually had. That you know about at the end of
1: April that you weren't quite sure of at the beginning of March? Well, you know, it's interesting, Dan, because you're right, it came fast and furious. It really did. But aside from all those pieces we talked about, we're also a merger and acquisition company. Mm -hmm. That didn't stop. As a matter of fact, we had a deal that actually we didn't know about March 1st, and we're literally closing on May 29th. So it was right during the pandemic that this deal happened. Mm -hmm. And it was just too good of a deal to pass up. Can you explain your growth?
0: Because you had all your growth, and then about five or six years, it
1: went into a high drive. It did. If we look five years ago, we were about 400 and some people. And I think we were ranked maybe on an engineering news record. We were about 300 and something on that. Since that time, we've grown to 1,500 people we do a lot of acquisitions. It's really turned out that we're an engineering company, but we realized that we're also a merger and acquisition company. And there's a lot of companies that have really seen value in joining us, almost to the point where now people are coming to us and saying, we'd like to join you. And we're kind of saying, okay, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. And this is one of those cases when we took a look at March 1st, it made absolute sense. So, It's really growing the company and really bringing in partnerships, I'm going to say, from other engineering companies. So we actually just found out yesterday that of all the architect, construction, engineering companies in the world, we're ranked number 84 right now, which that's a huge population on that when you take a look at it. For hospitals, we're ranked in the top three of hospitals in the United States for doing hospital design. So it's been an unbelievable growth. Dan, when you talk about capabilities, what we're realizing is we're able to really do a lot more than we ever would have imagined we could do simultaneously. And it's really by having a lot of people. We talk about having the correct who's. Mm -hmm. And I think we did our homework thanks to FreeZone and really understanding that you can't do it yourself. You can come up with the thoughts and the ideas, but you've got to have a lot of good who's that are really bought in and can really do that. And thank goodness we did our homework on that and we've had that. So it's been more of an orchestrator role for me Mm -hmm. than it's been a, hey, I've got to roll up my sleeves and do
0: this. You know, the three phases in coach, make it up, make it real, make it recur.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're a great make it up person. It's been invaluable on that. And you go back, you and I both know that I was thinking about retirement and thinking about that coffee shop with my wife. <laughs> I look at that now and I've got to laugh when I think about some of the things that we're accomplishing, I to say somewhat from the growth of our company, but I'm going to say that our staff have realized that we have a greater purpose now than just the engineering and the mergers and acquisitions we're doing. That we're really doing something to help a bigger cause. That's been very rewarding for me personally, but for all of our staff. It's been very rewarding.
0: It's kind of like when you went onto to the beaches of Normandy, your whole notion of Europe is really different.
1: yes it would be (laughs) I don't know how to equate our experience quite to that but absolutely I understand what you're saying and yes well it was interesting
0: because I was born two weeks before that event and you know one of the things and this is a side note just what you think about it I'm not a baby boomer I was born two years before the baby boomers and it's always struck me that the baby boom generation the biggest generation ever always operated under a shadow. There wasn't anything the boomers were going to do that was going to match what their parents did during the 1930s and 1940s, the Great Depression and World War II. But I think that because everybody's been through this, and this is truly the first totally global event, because if you went anywhere around the world, you could start a conversation with a stranger about their response to this particular event. It's the first time we've had a global common topic that everybody could talk about. And it required real courage. I mean, Stephen Palter, who's a new member of FreeZone, he's an IVF doctor on Long Island. And they all got closed down immediately because IVF was not deemed an essential service, Mm -hmm. but he's been conducting He's got a very, very interesting platform called Lodestone, where last night we watched him for an hour, and he had 3,000 doctors from around the world with seven people who were handling big healthcare systems. There was one guy, I think he had 120,000 employees in his hospital system, and they were just talking about what they know and what they don't know about how you actually handle people when you come in, because they're still some really mystery gaps and why certain people get infected and why certain people don't get infected and you know early detection, what's the earliest detection and what tests really work and what tests don't work. And what he's saying is that life is now permanently at another level. Could you talk a little bit about that? We had a conversation in the free zone video, the you know, the Zoom this morning. And they were saying, we shouldn't use the word return because we're not returning to anything. Could you just
1: reflect on that? Yeah, I absolutely can. I could talk about it, first of all, just within iMeg, our company. In India, we have 200 staff in India, have never worked a single day at home. Every day has been in the office. In 24 hours, all of them had to work at home. So we have 200 people working at home in India. Some have internet, some don't have internet. I mean, we used hot zones on phones. I mean, it was an unbelievable process, but we've got everybody working at home now. That's never gonna return back to everybody working in the office again. It's never gonna do it. The same thing in the United States, probably around 65% of our staff is working remotely and about 35% still come in the office on it. But if you take a look at just the way we operate, it has been successful working at home. And before we used to experiment with it, But now we've been forced to actually work that way. So working like that is going to be something that we just do. Designing hospitals. We design hospitals we talked about flexibility. Well, flexibility was the ability to be able to go in and renovate something into a different way of operation because things have changed. You need more of a certain type of a bed or a certain type of a suite. That's changed. Now, flexibility is you push a button and all the airflow and all the way that that department operates changes that quickly. It's a push of a button now. And so you got to build that flexibility into a facility now that was never even thought of before. UV light, that's gaining a whole new piece. I mean, obviously, PPE and being cleaned with UV light, we actually developed one that is being used, it says six minutes in a UV light and the PPE is cleaned. That was something that they asked us to research. You know, it's interesting, uh, University of Nebraska, the Ebola outbreak that they had to deal with on that, we utilized the technology from that to build the UV system so you could clean the PPE equipment because people couldn't get it. It's pieces like this that really cause you to really change completely the way you think about things and the way you design it. It's just fascinating that way. So is it going to return to normal? This is normal now. It it is a new normal. It's a new way of thinking about it. And no, it's never going to go back again. It's going to be a different way. It's kind of like 9-11. After 9-11, flying on airplanes changed. So I'm going to put two
0: words together that mean something to you, Paul, and then you're going to tell a story. And it's tell me how an aspiring Chiropractor gets. To- <laughs> so you have a word called "aspire," and you have you, you have a chiropractor. So how does an aspiring chiropractor get
1: to here? You know, that's an interesting story on that, day. And I graduated as an electrical engineer, went for my MBA, and then decided that I really wanted something different. And it really came down to this. I worked for a large engineering company back in New Jersey. And I realized that I wanted to be more of an entrepreneur. I mean, I was not the company guy and was going to be one of a number in the company. And I really thought that my target for doing that was to maybe go into chiropractic. I had a very good friend that used to, this is back in the writing letters days, used to write me letters about how great it was and he enjoyed it. So I literally resigned. I packed up my Camaro at the time with the trailer on the back and I moved from New Jersey to the Midwest went to Palmer College of Chiropractic and went for my chiropractic degree. In the middle of that, I needed to make some money so I started working for this engineering company and I was the 16th person in this engineering company. I really enjoyed working for them. It was privately owned and they tried to convince me to stop, you know, why don't you leave chiropractic and come to work for us? And I said, you know, I started, I'm going to finish it. So I did, met my wife there. We've been married now for 41 years, four children. So that was maybe my reason. But anyway, I went through, graduated, and decided to stay an engineer. And then this is the uh, the company that now I've gone from 16, number 16 the company, and now we've got 1,500 people. So it's grown through the years on that. But I had a real passion for healthcare. So we did not do, at 16 people, we didn't do much in the way of healthcare, but I kept calling on hospitals, finally got one to let us do the design on some renovations they were doing. And here we are now, one of the top three engineering firms in the country doing healthcare projects. Actually, we've even done the world's largest cancer center is located in Kuwait City, and we actually designed that. So we've had some very nice projects that we've gone to, but little they really know that there's a chiropractor behind that.
0: Yeah. So that you kind of expanded from the Midwest outward. You know, you started probably... I'm guessing in the Iowa, Illinois area. I remember I met you when you were contemplating retirement. Uh, You came into the 10 times program. And I think you kind of told me at the cocktail party, you know, this is my plan. I've heard this might be a good structure for me to wrap it up over the next three years. And then, you know, it's going to be a gourmet coffee shop. And I said, well, I have an exercise tomorrow morning and your first exercise where you're just going to take a look at, you know, what your lifetime's going to look like. And maybe, you'll have, maybe you'll have some different thoughts about that. And I didn't say anything that day, but you came back the next quarter, 90 days later, and you said, you know, I've been giving some thoughts since I've added a quarter century to my life that maybe I'll, I'll go further in engineering.
1: You know, Dan, that truly did change my life. If you ask me, I'll say that. If you ask my wife, she'll say that. If you ask my children, they'll say that too. When we did that 25-year lifetime, and I put down what I was going to do between now and this proposed date, which is what I look at now, I kind of laugh at it. When I was going to die, it was, I put this list together. And then with all these opportunities of how you could extend your life, I do own two Vaspers at this point. I go to Jeff Glad at Apex. I do exercise every day. I take my vitamins. But hearing this for the first time before doing all this and committing to all this and seeing that there was a different road that you could take was so enlightening to me. And when I take a look at the basically what I wanted to put as my goals between now and the day I was going to die, prior to this exercise, and then I take a look at the goals that I have going forward on it, which I have literally completed and going on my second round of goals now, the first list was absolutely a path towards dying. It literally was a path that every step of it, every piece of that goal was that path. And then here's this other path, which is full of growth and opportunity and expansion, and it was just so inviting that how could you not take that road? And it was just such a gift to have that opened up to me and have that opportunity. And I absolutely embraced it. I've shared that story with so many people because I see so many people going down that same road that I was about to travel down. The coffee shop would have been nice, but, <laughs> but I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. A heck I'm a lot better and I don't have to run a coffee shop. I could, kind of own the coffee shop at this point, you know, but somebody else can run it. So it really was a life changer on that day. And, And it gave me a goal of what I can accomplish. It's changed my life. It's changed my family's life. It's changed this company's whole deal and with the way we're going. So yes, when I go and I take a look at my investment into strategic coach, going through the 10 times and the free zone. When you take a look at the return on that, I couldn't even calculate what that return is because the return is more than dollars. The return is my life, my happiness, my family's life and happiness, and literally hundreds of people in this company. Yeah. Paul, January,
0: February 2020, how you were looking at the future at that point, huge growth. I mean, very exciting. You had really mastered a new form for growing your company, actually viewing yourself as an M&A company with a specialty in a particular type of engineering. So talk about how that has to be adjusted now from where you were in January. And now, let's say June, July, as you move forward, it looks like reopen is the national narrative now. You've never been closed, so to a certain extent, but it's a different
1: trajectory from now on, isn't it? You know, it really is, Dan. I would say, first of all, on the merger and acquisition front, this has been tough on a lot of companies. And so they're looking for stability in a greater way than they were two months ago. So our opportunities and our free zone frontier on M&A just became a larger territory than it was before. So that has changed significantly on that. So that's one way it's changed. In another way, I'm going to say in looking at being an authoritative source on some of the needs for healthcare and some of the ways that healthcare can be evolved now, because something like this, this is one event, I hate to say it, but it's not going to be the last time we're going to experience something like this. So people need to be thinking, what do I do to protect myself? Should something like this happen? And maybe the projections be true. Mm-hmm. So, what do we do? So, I think we do blogs now. We have become that authoritative source and we've developed collaborations with not necessarily new people, but people that we had relationships before, but those relationships have deepened now. Mm-hmm. And so, with that, now we have a stronger collaboration capability going forward on it than we ever had before. Yeah.
0: Can I ask you a question? And it has to do with jumping over the wall of engineering into other fields. Who are you very, very conscious of that are in different areas of specialties? You know, I know you had a full-time relationship with the Corps of Engineers, Mm -hmm. the Army Corps of Engineers, but who else have you become aware of that could be possible collaborations in the future that two months ago the thought would never have occurred to you? Yeah,
1: that's interesting. So with the speed that some of these need to go together. When you take a look at some contractors that we, again, we had relationships with, but realizing how quick things have to happen and realizing our agility on that, that's, again, forged a deeper relationship maybe in the contractor world than what we had prior to this. The other piece is government agencies. I think government agencies really took a look at companies and they were saying, who has the capability? but who also has the nimbleness and also the desire to be there Saturday, to be there Sunday, to be there on a moment's notice. And I think that's opened up a whole new horizon to us in that way in government agencies, as much as you can do that, (laughs) that they realized that, wait a minute, this firm really did do what it took to get things done. And I think a lot of people heard on the news, the Corps of Engineers and how they talked about how they were getting things done regardless of what the obstacles are. Well, again, I think they did that with partners. I think they were going to remember who those partners were that were able to do that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because a lot of the Corps of Engineers come out of West Point. West Point is one mm-hmm. of the great engineering schools it is. in the United States. And I think engineering, where it has a military discipline that goes along with it, and it's an, an emergency-oriented I know on the Mississippi River, (laughs) every once in a while in history, the Mississippi River can get into its flow that instead of coming out here, we're going to come out a hundred miles to the west. So you've had experience on the Mississippi. We
1: absolutely have. we worked with the Corps of Engineers back when Paul Van Dyne actually did design. We did a lot of the locks and dams that are up and down the Mississippi. And I say we did them, rehabilitated them, put new machinery in there for gates, did logic on how gates open and close. And it's interesting, they call between locks on the Mississippi River and the Illinois Waterway, they call those pools. And they literally regulate those pools under normal circumstances within inches. So how do you regulate all these dams to allow the proper flow to get that water to the proper maintained depth? because it's needed for navigation. They do a lot of boats and a lot of transport goes up and down the Mississippi and Illinois Waterway. So we're involved. We actually developed on the Illinois Waterway the first digital control system for locks and dams. And it's interesting, Dan, because we designed these. These are computer operators, a computer screen you looked at that showed every one of those dams, what their position was, but we still had to have a stainless steel box on the wall that had up, down, and on and off to it. <laughs> so that somebody wasn't computer literate could go over to that box and still make that thing happen. But anyway, it was one of the first ones in the United States that we did.
0: Oh, um, well, I've been reading a lot of geopolitical books. And the one in particular, uh, I gave out a copy of in the fall, which was The Absent Superpower by Peter Zion. yeah, And he's just come out with a new book, and I actually had the chance to meet him about two months ago. And it's called The Disunited Nations. And his whole thesis is that everything's coming back to the United States now. Mm-hmm. And the center of it is right where you live. It's going to be the Midwest. And it's because of the river system. It's the biggest river system in the world that the Mississippi, Ohio, and the Missouri... All these water systems and then lots of other water systems, they're all connected together into more or less one system, and they're all navigable. It's kind of funny because industrialization at a very, very high level is coming back to the United States, and it's all going to require engineering, every aspect of it. So I think that you're probably in the sweet zone
1: of engineering in the world, just being where you are right now. I completely agree with you, Dan. We do a lot of industrial projects. We started back when John Deere's headquarters was located right where our main office is, our headquarters. So we did a lot of work for Deere & Company, but it's expanded from there. Not only that, we're looking at one acquisition we're doing right now that is uh, process engineering. It's liquid processes. We're adding that capability to our portfolio. Mm -hmm. So we do see that there's a lot that is being done offshore now. I'm going to say especially China, but aside from China, there's other countries too that have, in a sense, a lock on maybe some type of product or something needed in the flow of a product that we need. And I think we are going to see a big push towards bringing that back to the United States. I think our government's going to push that. And I think clients are going to push that. So I think that is going to be a huge opportunity going forward is to get our industrial capabilities into a robust form that we can somewhat isolate. Yep, I agree completely. Paul, just to finish off here,
0: the whole concept of free zone, okay, and 10 times you're going to do, you're on the, completely on the path 10 times, but the whole notion of free zone, that the future is about collaboration. I mean, you've always collaborated because you had to, uh, every project requires so many subspecialties and Everything, but just the word itself, collaboration, and then seeing the examples from many other industries in the actual program, the Free Zone program. What's that done for your thinking? Plus, add this two month experience to you. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: the difference is that in a past, I would collaborate, and I'm going to say we as a company would collaborate, but only where it made sense. In other words, you took a look at something, you said, well, that makes sense. Let's do that. But you didn't necessarily look for the collaboration. And looking for the collaboration to me is a different skill set because it's looking where collaboration may not have been the first thought process. But now you take a look at that, you say, why wouldn't you collaborate? And collaborate not looking for necessarily that financial return from it because that's what would have regulated that collaboration in the past. Now it's looking at collaboration. It exposes you to, I'm going to say it, I'm going to use your word free zone, but it exposes you to this unbelievable opportunity that comes up that is unbelievably powerful. I mean, I take a look at that and what we're doing with mergers and acquisitions. Yes, I may have collaborated a little bit, but I never were to look for the opportunity that says, wow, I can collaborate in a way and actually bring people in that I've got this unbelievable free zone of companies that come to us, come to IMEG, and say, we want to be part of you. And we get to pick, okay, this one makes sense. This one doesn't make sense. This one makes sense. And that wouldn't have been there before. We wouldn't have been the buyer in the sense that we're the buyer today on it. And that's where that's changed. You know, I take a look at the last couple of months on it. Again, I'm going to say that that's really opened up the opportunities as far as MA is concerned, that companies are afraid right now. They've gone through a very, very tough experience. And our capability to be so diverse, in geographically diverse, we're market sector diverse, market sector being healthcare, higher education, industrial, we're not in any one of those, we're in all of those, and being diverse in what we offer in engineering. We offer all the engineering. It's not just structural or mechanical, electrical, or civil, or it's all the services we offer. So the fact that we've moved like that and we have that diversity and we show growth during this period, it's really changed the picture on how, I'm going to say, under people's desire to come in into the I make family of companies on it. So I, I think it's really changed things quite a bit that way, Dan. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was
0: terrific. You've got some great marketing and sales lines here. <laughs> Your PR firm said, you know, we should be paying you. <laughs> oh, there you go.
1: <laughs> well, hopefully there's a couple of kind words in there for coach and free zone uh, oh, here or yeah, two uh, on that Dan, great. Because I really do say that it changed my life. It really did. So it's been huge. It's been a wonderful journey. It really has. And the the neat part is it's not over yet. Just starting. It, exactly. <laughs>